0: Good morning. Good morning. Um, We're going to talk today about wrestling, and in particular, about God wrestling with Jacob. And I want to be clear about something up front, that the passage we're going to be looking at is not a passage about, not as much a passage about Jacob wrestling with God. It's much more of a passage of God wrestling with Jacob. And there is a difference, a distinction that needs to be made between the two mindsets. I think a lot of us, especially in America, we tend to go into this thinking of more so Jacob's role and less about God's role. And what I want to encourage you with is to think about it from the perspective that this is God. He is the one, he is the driving force here. He is the one at work. He is the one who has a plan to accomplish, and he accomplishes it. And Jacob is a participant. So as we read through these verses, Genesis 32, verses 21 to 32, keep that in mind. And I want to add one thing real quick before we read. I was, I was assigned verses 22 to 32. And I wanted to actually read 21, and we'll get into the reason why as we look at the context behind this passage. So Genesis 32, verses 21 to 32. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who wrestles with your people And we see an example here of how you wrestled with a man, with Jacob, who would later become Israel. And I pray that as we think about these things and we think about the trials, the difficulties that you bring to our lives, that we could be faithful, that we could see Jacob as a model of faith as he is here. And we could see the blessings that come on the other side of everything that you put in our lives for those of us who love you, because you sanctify us and you make us more like you. Let us not hate your discipline, Lord, let us love it. And let us learn from from Jacob and from you how to process the difficulties that come into our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a little bit of context before we begin. Uh, Genesis, this is a difficult, a stressful time in Jacob's life. It is a very, very stressful time. There are so many things at this point in time that you would look at any one of those things and think that this is just too much to bear. But Jacob has to endure these things and and proceed on with his life. And so we have in, in chapter 31 where we we talked about, we didn't talk about this actually, I think we missed this part, but um, Jacob's conflict with Lot where he flees from Lot. And so I want to read Genesis 31 verses 1 through 3 quickly to just get an insight into the context behind this. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our fathers, and from what was our fathers he gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, I will be with you. So God commands Jacob to depart. Jacob does depart. He does so in a sneakily way. Is that a word sneakily? Anyway, um, three days later, Laban finds out that he's gone. Laban pursues him and catches him. And he has the right, in his mind at least, to, uh, to overtake and to conquer Jacob. But God comes to Laban and says, do not say a word to him. And they make a covenant, an agreement that at this point, if we will not cross this point any time in the future to harm with the intention of harming one another. And so step one, Jacob is free from that conflict. And then Michael preached last week about two sections of scripture dealing with Jacob's confrontation with Esau. The first part being the part that's leading up to Jacob sending messengers to Esau, the messengers coming back and saying, hey, Esau's coming. And then the second section being the section where um, the, the sweet reunion between the two, the unexpectedly sweet surprise that Esau, he, he falls on his neck and um, kisses him. And, uh, and so right in between that, in between those two sections is the, the part that we just read. I don't know if you noticed we skipped a part last week. It was this part, the part where Jacob is wrestling with God. And so we have Jacob fleeing from Lot. And again, the part that Michael covered last week, Jacob sent messengers to, God, to, to Esau saying, Hey, we're coming to the land of my fathers and my kindred and, um, and my kinsmen. And Genesis 32, verses 6 through 7. Again, I'm highlighting that this is a very distressing point in Jacob's life. Here are the messengers. We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. 400 men. Does anyone remember when Abram delivered Lot, he brought men with him? Anyone remember how many men Abram brought with him? Esther. (laughs) No, no. It was less than 400. It was 318. Abram... Only needed 318 men with him to conquer kings. Esau is coming with 400 men. And Jacob's response would probably be similar to any of our responses in the moment. It says Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. 400 men. From a man who the last time you heard anything about him, he was comforting himself with the thought that he was going to kill you. And it's entirely possible, I really do wonder, maybe Esau did take those 400 men with him with the intention of killing Jacob. And maybe God went to work. But, regardless, Jacob was greatly distressed. So he's in an extremely vulnerable position here. He's distressed. He's so distressed that he wakes up in the middle of the night and decides to move his entire camp across the ford of the Jabbok. And this is why I wanted to start in verse 21 instead of verse 22. So let's read that, verses 21 and 22. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. He stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. So... I, I'm guessing I'm not the only one. I, I'm just thinking through Jacob's mind here. Do any of you ever wake up in the middle of the night and then every irrational thought that you've ever had enters your mind and then you wake up the next day and it's like, what in the world was that? I know I'm not alone because it's at least me and my wife, but um, that's what I picture when I think about this. Just this—he they, they make camp, they're in camp. People are asleep, he gets up. In the middle of night, at the most dangerous time to cross this ford, and they cross. It's dark, it's pitch black, no city lights, and they cross this ford at a very dangerous time so that Jacob can be alone. And so Jacob wanted to be alone. At this particular time, he wanted to be alone. Why? did Jacob want to be alone, I would say that there's probably, there's, pro- there's plenty of reasons, I'm sure, but there's two that I, I want to highlight. One is kind of a, a worldly scheme, not scheming, but just, a, well, maybe if this happens, then this will happen. And then the other is very much a, a godly reason. Uh, reason one is perhaps Esau would only kill Jacob. If Jacob's alone, Jacob may be reasoning, hey, perhaps Esau will only kill me. He, he'll spare my family because This distress for Jacob right now is not just for him. Esau's bringing 400 men. Why? Just to conquer Jacob? Just to kill Jacob? Jacob's mind, in his mind, he's not only afraid for himself, he's afraid for his wives, his servants, his children, all of them, everyone with him. And so perhaps if he's alone, God will spare them. Esau will be comforted just by killing Jacob. The second reason is that Jacob wanted to entreat the Lord. Um, It didn't work out the way that he planned it on happening, but it happened and he wanted to spend time begging God for deliverance. And so I wanna talk about with with the context laid out, a few things moving forward. I wanna talk about the fight, the wrestling between God and Jacob, the blessing, the, what Jacob received as a consequence of being blessed by the Lord. And then I want to apply this to us as well. So those are the four things I'm going to cover. But first, the fight. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. He wanted to be alone. He was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched his socket. The socket of Jacob's hip. So that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So it starts out, a man, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. A man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day. Why does it say a man? I I remember the first, just the first time I read this, a man, and then you read later and it's like, well, something else was happening here. So it says a man, And, and the reason why I believe is because Jacob didn't know that this was a divine being at first. It was dark. It was dark. A man comes, and this is from Jacob's perspective. He doesn't know who this is. He has no idea. So he didn't know it was a divine being at first, but as the day broke, as the light shined in, he came to realize that something else was going on here, that this was God. But because Jacob didn't know that it was God wrestling with him, he had no choice but to fight back. This is a, and this is a part of God's plan for this moment is God wanted Jacob to wrestle with him. It was, it was God's intention for him to wrestle with him. If Jacob, in the beginning of this, this encounter, knew that it was God, he probably, in his mind, would have had an out. That, well, I'm not going to wrestle against God. I'm just going to... And God won't, won't kill me at this moment. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to forfeit, you know, lay down, do whatever, but I'm not going to wrestle with God. But because... Jacob didn't know who this was because in his mind, it was just a man, he had to wrestle back, or in his mind, his life was in danger at this moment. And so, I gotta ask, any wrestlers out there? High school, before, I know. Yeah, our first conversation, Ben, was about wrestling. Just me and Ben. All right, I, um, man. I wrestled in eighth grade and I wrestled my sophomore year of high school. And when I was a kid, I I didn't know the Lord. Sports were my idol. I played a lot of sports growing up. And um, I'll tell you, wrestling was the worst. It was by far the, the most difficult practices. The act of wrestling with another young man, your exact size because there's weight classes, your pretty much your exact strength. For in middle school, it was three one minute rounds even just these three one-minute rounds, by the end of it, it was just pure exhaustion. It was bedtime. In high school, it was two-minute rounds. There is nothing like wrestling, just the exhaustion at the end of it. It's funny he's not here. I I asked Josh Emig a couple of weeks ago, just thinking about this sermon, hey, did you wrestle in high school? And, And yes, he did. And I told him on Friday at the men's time that I was going to mention him. It, we might as well have just gone upstairs, and you know, he lay down on the couch, and me with a clipboard, and had a therapy session. As he described how miserable wrestling was. I'm putting my sons in wrestling side note. They're super excited. <laughs> Suckers, you know. So. Um, and th- there's a reason why I'm highlighting this. Jacob and. This man wrestled for about six hours, give or take. Eight minutes, up to eight minutes with overtime in wrestling in high school, you're done. You are completely wiped out. Jacob wrestling with this man for six hours, I am telling you from a human perspective, it is impossible. There is no way. That Jacob could have actually wrestled with another man, that the two of them could have wrestled together for that long. And so, but Jacob endured. He endured throughout the night, and the man did not prevail against him, but he did, then he did by touching his socket and wounding him. And yet, still, Jacob kept wrestling with him. How did Jacob, how could he have possibly done that? Um, God gave him the strength. God gave Jacob the strength to endure through that. And when we get to application, I would encourage you to remember two things so far. And I I would love to skip to application right now, but I won't. Um, Jacob was alone. He put himself in a position where he was alone. Remember that. And then remember this second thing. God gave him the strength in this moment to endure because God was at work and he had a plan. So Jacob endured. And this wrestling wasn't a matter of winning or losing, it was a matter of strengthening and weakening, strengthening Jacob's soul, his resolve. And weakening his body, putting him in a position where he is more vulnerable and and has to depend on God even more. And um, I love Jacob as a result of this, or should I say Israel, I love him. And I I, want to even confess to you, reading up to this point, thinking through the mind of Isaac, I probably would have favored Esau up until this point. But after this, I am all Jacob. Because the way that God works in him, the way that he changes him, is wonderful and it's beautiful. He gives Jacob resolve. And I don't know if I was gonna talk about this now or later, but one thing I wanna tell you is one thing that makes me, that, that I love about Christian men and women, is no matter how big or small you are, no matter how strong or weak you are physically, a man or, or a woman with resolve, in, in that resolve being put in the right direction, it's like you, you have my heart instantly. And I would hope that if you were to see the same thing for me, that, that that would be the case for you. So let's turn to the blessing, verses 26 through 29. The man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. Dawn is breaking. The man says, Let me go, for the day is breaking. What's the significance here? We, we already kind of touched on this, but why does this man intend to finish wrestling Jacob at this point in time? Well, throughout the night, the what and the why for in Jacob's minds, they weren't settled. He doesn't know what's going on. He just knows that a man is wrestling with him. So the what and the why is not settled But as the light shines through the darkness, Jacob is able to see who he's wrestling with. And he starts to understand what's going on here, that God is at work. And so he sees that God is at work, mission accomplished for God. God is, is done, sort of, except he says, let me go for its daybreak. And Jacob has this audacious reply. I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was, I, I'm stealing this word from Jason Hudson. I was talking about this with Michael and Jason earlier in this week, and I, I was just trying to process this. If you were to think through this in a black and white way, you would think, well, God's saying, let me go. Jacob says, I will not let you go. Black and white, well, is Jacob sinning? Actually, no. It's, it's just this audacious, courageous, faithful, full of faith prayer that is absolutely something that we should model ourselves after. Um, I was talking to my wife about this a week ago as I was thinking through this sermon, and she compared this to somebody who we see in the New Testament, the, um, the persistent widow. Remember the persistent widow? I want to read that passage. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So we have these two examples of words that I would describe as fervency, fervent prayers, audacious prayers, prayers that kind of buck the trend of authority, you know, higher figure and lower figure. And most of the time, if you act that way towards a person in authority, uh, it, it's, it, would, it would feel like defiance. But this is not. It's, it is audacious. It's faithful. It is full of faith. It's fervent. And it's extremely rare in its honoring to God. And another thing... The third thing you should remember for application time is this, this, this fervent prayer that when trials come in your life, what does your prayer life look like? Are you blocking those things out? Are you distracting yourself? Are you fighting against God? Or are you on your knees praying fervently to him, asking him for deliverance? And will this, Will he not? He will give justice speedily. So Jacob this is, this is absolutely something, again, that we should model ourselves after. Now, God says to Jacob, what is your name? God is not asking. He does, it's not that he doesn't know, but he's saying to Jacob, name yourself. And think about the, the contrasts or the similarities between this and when Jacob is blessed by Isaac. So God says, name yourself, Isaac, when Isaac blesses Jacob mistakenly, um, in Isaac's eyes at least, Isaac says, what is your name? And at that point, Jacob says, I am your son Esau. And at this point, he says, my name is Jacob. Um, And and then he says to God, please tell me your name. And God responds to him, why do you ask me your name? In other words, God is saying, you know who I am. I am the greater, I'm not going to give you this claim over me to to have my name, to to know my name. He would have understood that back then, but then God then blessed him. He blessed him. So what about the response to this blessing? How was Jacob a changed man, or Israel? Because God blessed him and gave him this name Israel. Well, Jacob was fundamentally a changed man after this. Physically, Jacob is a weaker man, both short and long-term. Short-term, again, very distressful time in his life. He is emotionally exhausted at this time, but now he's just had a sleepless night, and now he's physically exhausted, and he's about to meet his brother, who the last he heard wanted to kill him, and he's, he's got nothing. Jacob... Israel, he has nothing at this time. He is completely dependent on God in this moment, exactly where he should be. He is changed short-term, but long-term, he has this permanent physical weakness, this injury as well. So physically, he's weaker, but spiritually, he is a much stronger man. Um, He's a much stronger man after this encounter with God. He is transformed from a devious fighter To a resolute one, remember what I said about resolve. He is full of resolve here. He is strengthened in that way, which is why I would say it's all Jacob for me. You know, and he's given a new name, a new name, Israel. And just like us, we may not have an actual change in our names, but when God wrestles with us and he changes us as he will, um, and he, he brings us into his family. We are adopted sons of his, and we are, in a sense, given a new name as well. And then a question that we have to ask ourselves, is this the point of Jacob's conversion, of Israel's conversion? Uh, Ben Reynolds uh, preached on Jacob's ladder a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And was it then or was it now? Uh, Regardless, whatever the case, Jacob is a Christian now and I really do say he's a Christian at this point and he is even more so sanctified and strengthened as a result of this time so whether it's then or whether it's now that's a question you will need to ask yourselves so thinking about us thinking about you and me and thinking about God who is God God is a God God is God he is a God who wrestles with his people God is a God who wrestles with his people. He wrestles with you. He wrestles with me. Why? Why does he wrestle with us? Well, number one, sanctification. Just like with Jacob, sanctification. My son, do do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. That's Proverbs 3, verses 7 through 8. Um, Another one, the the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. I mean, think through that. This is your life as a Christian. You wake up in the morning, you watch the sunrise, you can see it at first, but then at at a certain point, uh, you have to remove your gaze. You can't keep looking at the sun, and, and, and that is our path. If you are truly one of his, God will sanctify you. You will shine brighter and brighter until full day, until that day that you see the Lord face to face. So sanctification is one. Blessing is another. Through these difficult things, through these trials, through these things that come into our lives, he is shaping us, he is forming us, he is turning us more and more into somebody who looks like him. He is blessing us. And... Um, and he will have his way with you. He is God. You are not. So God will have his way with you. And I I wanna share with you one example from my life. Um, You know, if I were to describe probably like the 2010s, 2010 to 2020, pretty much um, I would say that my life Sarah's life, my wife, that it, it, it had been, it was full of, there's a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of sorrow, a lot of failure, and also abundant blessing, and would I want to go through that decade, that period of our lives again? I would not, but... I I am on the other side of that, and I am thankful to God for the work that he did. I trust that his plan is greater than mine, and, and I'll share with you just one of many examples. So we didn't know. We tried for about two years before Sarah got pregnant with our first child, but regardless, either way, one thing that we wanted to do, we knew we wanted to do, was to pursue adoption. And we lived in... Long Beach, California at this time, and we pursued adoption through the L.A. County foster care system. And um, we got certified. We went through the classes. A few months later, we got a call that um, there was a a -a one-and-a-half-year-old boy and a six-month-old girl that needed a place, a house. And so we were excited. We took them in. We fell in love with them right away. They had... Uh, two older brothers as well, two and a half years old and three and a half years old. And those brothers were placed in another house. After a week, that family, they called the agency and they said, we don't want these kids anymore. A big, big no-no. But we talked about it, we prayed about it and we called our social worker and said, we would be delighted to take these other two boys into our home. And you know, for those of you who, who know about foster care, reunification is the goal. And yet, how, how do we fight against that mentality but fight against our hearts as well? I can tell you, we prayed, we asked God, um, knowing the situation that they were facing, if they were going to be reunified, we asked God for these children, that they could be ours. And God said no. And forgive me if, if you know, you might want to throw out some judgment towards me with what I'm about to say but um, I hope you understand the girl in particular Um, if, if we're talking about my my heart my feelings for these children I loved all of them but the girl she was the youngest and she was the only one so she was the youngest which means she truly believed that I was her father and that Sarah was her mother and she was the only girl. And let me tell you something, there is something about fathers and daughters. If you ask any man who is a father of a daughter what that something is, they will stumble over their words, but there is something about fathers and daughters that is really sweet. And the only way that that I could explain it is that they soften you. And this girl, My daughter, Alyssa, God used her to soften me. She changed me. And so I remember the day we went back. I remember we went back to, to, this was the last day to drop them off at their mother's apartment. And I remember handing this beautiful girl who had changed me, off to her mother and just stopping unloading the van and watching her go around the corner and knowing that this was going to be the last time that I was ever going to see this girl again. And not only that, but she was so young that, you know, I think about her all the time and she has no idea who I am. You wanna talk about wrestling through that. And I wish that was the end of it, but a few years later we found out that the mom went back on meth and that the kids were back in the system and we were out of the picture at that time. And you wanna talk about wrestling with God. That was an intense point of wrestling with God in our lives. And I won't take too long to say we got two other placements in our home, slam dunk, you're gonna adopt them 99 times out of 100, you're going to adopt them and both of them went back to family members. And it was such a huge mistake that it must have been the hand of God. And where was I going with that? I know where I was going. I can tell you without a doubt, without a doubt in my mind, that because of that, I love God more. And because of that, I trust Him more, and I am more grateful, and I trust that He knows His ways are better than mine. Zero doubt in my mind, more so now than before. And I could list off plenty of other things, to, to other trials that God has put in our lives, but He is good. There was, there's some songs we sang this morning that makes me think that, yes, amen, He is good. He is trustworthy. And so what about you? What about trials, that, things that God encounters with God that he brings to your life? What about your trials? Uh, first thing you need to ask yourself, and then we'll be done, is identify the source of these trials in your life. Is it sin? If it's sin, repent. Now, it, it may not necessarily be because of your sin. That's what Job's friends got wrong. Remember Job's friends. They thought all of that was because of his sin, and they were wrong. It may not necessarily be because of your sin that these things come to your life. It may be that God wants to wrestle with you. Um, If it is God, and if it is wrestling, remember the lessons that we learned from Jacob. Jacob was alone. Jacob was alone. It is so easy today to do anything else other than being alone. There's so many distractions. There's probably right now a distraction in your pocket that you could pull out and very easily distract yourself from whatever it is that is on your mind and on your heart. Get alone. Don't distract yourself. Don't block things out. Don't, yeah, don't distract yourself. Second, Jacob wrestled. He didn't capitulate. He didn't fight against God. Some of you are fighting against God. Some of you are fighting, you're not wrestling, you are fighting against God. Engage with him, and how do you wrestle with him? Well, one is through fervent prayer, and you want to humble any man, and most women, ask them about their prayer lives. I know that this is an era we can all improve in. Get on your knees before your holy God and, and, and seek him with that kind of audacious prayer that Jacob prayed. And the goal, perseverance and prayer, trusting in God, being blessed by God. But if you are not wrestling with him, but you're fighting against him, if you're distracting yourself, if you're looking for any excuse to shut this down when these trials come into your life, you are missing out on tremendous blessings. And let me tell you why you are doing that. It's because you are weak. And I don't mean... When I am weak, then I am strong. Type weak. No, I'm saying you are a weak man or a weak woman, and I very intentionally don't want to get into specifics here. I I block that out all week, trying to think through. Not necessarily. Well, who's weak? I don't. That, that's work that you need to do. If that applies to you, instead, I was actually thinking. Well, who, who's strong? Who strengthened me? And, um, man. You know, I love you guys. I wanted to tell you that when we had you over for dinner the other week, and I just kind of chickened out. But, um... You have strengthened me so much lately, and I love you so much more. Yes, I wish that we could. I would love to be holding her right now. But I am also thankful for, for the work, the, the wrestling that you're doing and the blessings that I see in your lives and, and, and the blessings that, that I am receiving from your strength. You know, and there's others who I'm thinking about. If you are weak, if you're physically weak, what do you do? And you want to be strong. Go to the gym or do some manual labor or something to get strong. I'm saying this from a position of of love and of hope. Strengthen yourself. You know, it's it's not a hopeless thing for me to say, if you are weak, strengthen yourself. Trust the Lord for that. You know, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's better for you, if this is true of you, to, to really seek the Lord now than for those of you who are married, for your spouse to realize that one day, or worse, for your children, if you, for those of you who have children, or we'll have children to realize that one day too because their souls will be in danger if they realize that you are weak. Be strong. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. You, I, I have faith that you will be able to do so if you, if you seek the Lord fervently. Let's pray. Father, you are our strength. You are our source of all that is good in this world. I pray that all of us, every one of us, would, um, would seek you with fervent prayer, with uh, wrestling in times of trials, and that uh, you would give us strength. You would give us the strength to endure the way that you gave Jacob the strength to endure um, when he wrestled with you. I pray that... Uh, The end result of that would be more trust in you, more love for you, more of a a trust in your plan that that we would be dependent on you so that you can do your work and do the, the work that glorifies your name through us. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.